Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We are starting a series today, which you've heard about, called Songs of Summer. Now, I don't know about you, but I love summer. And there's so much about summer that, that is awesome. I love the fact that the days are longer. That's a good start there. I mean, you think about, you know, winter, the days are so short. You get home from work and it's dark and you feel like, well, what can I do now? You sort of end up in front of the TV or just end up, you know, going out somewhere. But, you, you, you know, it just feels late already. Whereas summer, it's like light till nine o'clock. You know, you get home from work and think, oh, I'll invite someone over. We can have a barbecue. We can go to the pool. We can drive down the beach. There's all these amazing things we can do. So I love summer. And I love the songs of summer. And the songs of summer to me, are those songs that kind of are intricately connected to events from summers gone by. And um, I'm sure you've all got, you know, you hear a piece of music and there are, you know, it just brings to mind pleasant summers that have gone by or maybe distressing summers that have gone by. But, you know, there are songs that you hear, it just brings you back to summers that have, that have gone past. You, you know, it often brings back that, it's amazing, you hear a song and you can almost feel the warmth in the air. You know what I mean? You can almost feel the sand bet- between your toes. You can almost hear the clash of willow against leather. <laughs> Cricket, yeah, got it, got it. And, you know, I, just, I love that. You know, for me, uh, you know, songs of summer, sometimes it's about the words. I mean, sometimes there are words that just connect to us, don't they, with a song. You know, maybe particularly when you're younger and... You know, you're discovering the whole boy meets girl sort of thing. And, you know, sometimes the words just connect with, with, with where you're at or want to be in terms of a relationship. And so the words are poignant and powerful. Sometimes it's about the tune. It's just, it's just catchy. It's just sweet. It's just, it just kind of gets you in. And so, so that makes a connection because of that reason. Sometimes it's just the fact that they're there. In the midst of all that you're doing in your summer time, there's just... There's just music in the background and so somehow that gets connected in your thinking and so the moment you hear that song you go back to those times and places I mean for me this is this is possibly you think a little bit lame but for me the first song of summer I can remember or the first song of summer that that really sticks in my thinking is from 1978 and it's come on Aussie come on come on come on Aussie come on and it's just like, it's, whenever I hear that, it just brings back to my mind images of summer. I think of Dennis Lilly, I think of Max Walker, I think of Jeff Thompson, I think of the Chapel Brothers. It just, it's just there. You know, see, you're seeing Mitchell Johnson also bring back that era, era as well with his mo. But uh, you know, it's just there. And not only, not only that part of quick, but it also brings me back and I think of you know, the massive test matches that I myself played in, just over here. At the paddocks, you know, just before dinner, Dad would take us down, myself and Tone and Baz and a few of the people from our street, and we'd start this little cricket match going, and before you knew it, there would be people from all over our neighbourhood who would begin to join us, oh, can we play, mate? Yeah, no worries, mate, you're on his team. Someone else, can we play? Yeah, you're on his team. And, and you'd end up with this, this test match happening, you know, this hour before dinner. And it was just amazing. Like I said, just that, the moment I hear that, all those thoughts come flooding in. You know, later on, when I first got a car, the first thing I did was rip out the dinky little radio and whack in a decent sound system. 
And so, you know, there are songs now from, from, from people like John Cougar Mellencamp or ZZ Top or Bruce Springsteen or, you know, these the cold chisel, they just, they just bring back memories of cruising down the beach with my mates, bring back memories of their cars, you know, the beat up old HR Hold and the old V-dubs and the, you know, <laughs> some of the stupid things that they did. Uh, you know, all that's just there because of these songs. The songs, songs are powerful just because of what they elicit. You know, it doesn't have to be de- deep and meaningful. It doesn't have to be particularly wonderfully sounding. It's just that somehow it gets hooked into our thinking and is able to transport us back to those times gone by. For my kids, I guess it's going to be, you know, some of my songs of summer will be theirs because every time we're driving the car and I hear it on the radio, I'll crank it up. And so, you know, by default and, and with much protestation, some of my songs of summers will become theirs. But I'm sure, you know, and then their songs of summers will include Sam who's singing Bruno Mars out around the pool. Whenever their friends come over, he just pulls out his guitar and starts singing to all these girls. I don't know what that's about. (laughs) (laughs) There'll be One Direction songs, there'll be Taylor Swift songs and Little Mix songs and Guy Sebastian, sorry? (laughs) Guy Sebastian songs, all that sort of thing. And so songs are powerful because they, they lodge themselves in our, remem- in our uh, memory. And they help us to remember things that we'd otherwise forget, be it the times and, and the, the things that were going on and the people that were there, or even be it the words. You know, if someone just said something to you, you'd probably forget it by the next day almost. But when something's put in a song, it, it beds itself in our memory and we can remember it years and years later. Songs are powerful because they can influence the way that we think and feel. You think about it, you can be in one particular mood and a bit of music comes on and it can transport you into another place in terms of where you're thinking and how you're feeling. That's pretty powerful. And songs can also unite us around those thoughts and those feelings. And we've experienced an example of that this morning in worship. You know, we've sung the same songs, we've had the same focus. And I think there's a sense of unity around this person of God and about his goodness and his greatness. And there's a sense of appreciation that grows and wells up in us as we reflect on all that he's done on our behalf. So songs are powerful because they can unite us around thoughts and feelings, for better or for worse, mind you, as well. And so I guess for some of those reasons, music and song and praise and worship and faith have always been interconnected. For thousands and thousands of years, Music and song has been an integral part of worship and faith. And so obviously, you know, this is the direction we're going to head in with, in terms of our songs of summer. So I'm, not going to hear, I'm not going to be here and unpack you know, some of the songs that many great people have sung. Bruce Springsteen, you know, you 2 We could talk about those songs and I'm sure there'd be some great life lessons we could pull out. But you know, we're in church and, and while I could go that direction, I'm not. We're going to go in the direction of the book of Psalms. Because the book of Psalms is a book of songs, simply songs of praise. It's found in the Bible. If, you open, if you've got an old school Bible, you know, one of those paper ones, and you flick it open, as long as it hasn't got too many study notes in the back, it's going to be about in the middle, okay? That's Psalms. And Psalms are just simply um, songs of praise. There's about, there's a, well, not about, there's exactly 150 of them in the book of Psalms. And these songs are old school. Like, not just Beatles old school, but like really old school. Like these songs, the youngest of them, you know, is over two and a half thousand years old. Some 
thousands or a thousand years or so older than that again. So we're talking old songs. These songs touch on a, on a wide range of, of theological topics, doctrinal issues, subjects. These songs express a broad range of human emotion. Okay, they're not all just, you know, like flatline in terms of emotion, but there's the highs of human experience and there's the very, very lows or depths of human experience expressed in this. And that's why so many of us, you know, when we're, when we're feeling like we need a bit of a pep up or a bit of an encouragement, a bit of a reality check, many of us actually turn to the Psalms, don't we? If, if we are a Christian and we, we've read our Bible at all, we often go to the Psalms for encouragement because of that very reason. We can relate to what's being said and what's going on there. The Psalms, I guess, can be divided up into different categories. You know, there's obviously the songs of praise where it's all about God's goodness and what he's done and what he will do. There's the laments. You know, that is the woe is me type stuff. You know, where the wheels are falling off, everything's gone pear-shaped, it's okay for them, but what about me, God? I'm doing the right thing, they're doing the wrong thing. It sucks that they're going so well and I'm going so badly. Where are you in all this? They're a lot of laments, and sometimes they're personal laments, sometimes they're national laments of the whole nation is just devastated and they're wondering where God is because they are God's chosen people, Israel, that is. There's the songs of thanksgiving. They're the responses after God has responded to the laments and, and they've had the breakthrough. And so they're standing on the mountaintop shouting that God is good and thank you, God, for the breakthrough and what you've done in my life. There's, there's psalms about kingship and royalty that, that often revolve around a literal earthly king like David, or, but often obviously as a shadow and picture of the, the royal king of all, Jesus himself. And there's some psalms that are wisdom psalms and I'm gonna have a look at one of those in just a moment. Psalms are poetic in nature. And what that means is that there are certain devices that are used to make them memorable. Those things don't make them any less truthful, but they do help to dig in a little bit deeper and grab us at another level than perhaps if we just stated some theolo theological facts. Okay, so that when you read Psalms, there's, there's stuff like parallelism. And what that just means is that you know, the, the second part of a verse often builds on the first part of the verse, or perhaps contrasts with the first part of the verse. Sometimes the start of a Psalm might have the same thought as the end of a Psalm. And you've got this little cross thing, this chiasm happening in there. Okay, so there are things like that that take place. There's, there's vivid language, there's metaphors, there's things that are, you know, this is like that. There's all that sort of thing. And, and if you're anything like me, you know, that, that's what makes poetry hard to understand. Now, just give me an instruction manual, it's easy. But poetry, you've got to think about it because it's not obvious necessarily. You've got to think about the meaning. You've got to try and interpret it a little bit. And that's why it can be a little bit difficult sometimes to really get to the heart and soul of a psalm. But it's worth putting the effort in. It's worth thinking about it, unpacking a little bit because there's treasure in there if you'll do that. And so what I'd like to do this morning briefly is to have a look, as I mentioned, at Psalm 1. This is one of the few wisdom psalms, as I've mentioned and I think for that reason, it's a very appropriate gateway into the rest of the book. And the fact we're starting you know, um, um, a new series called Songs of Summer, it's probably appropriate to start at the first one, hey? Um, it's a good starting place. Um, we're not going to go through them all, by the way. We've got four weeks. And we're just going to choose four psalms this year, at least, anyway. Because otherwise, it wouldn't be Songs of Summer. It would be Songs of the Ages. It would take us a long, long time to get through this series. All right, so Psalm chapter one, verses one to six, I'm reading from the NIV, and it says this, blessed, or blessed, is the man who does, or woman, that would include women as well, just there, just to be a little bit politically correct here. 
Blessed is the person or the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his or her delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he or she meditates day and night. He, they, are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now there's a whole bunch of angles that we could take on this particular psalm, and indeed on any psalm. But I'm just going to take the angle really of just looking at what it means to be one of the blessed. Because I don't know about you, but you know, I would like to be blessed. And I actually think most people in this world would like to be blessed. Blessed is probably a little bit of a Christianese sort of word that maybe you don't hear outside of church. So what does it actually mean? Well, it just means to be essentially happy. If you boil it all down, it's about happiness. It can include things like health. It can include things like strength or like wealth or like good relationships and all of that sort of stuff. But you see, those things in and of themselves don't necessarily mean a person is blessed because you can be rich but not happy. You can be married but not happy. You can be healthy but not happy. But you can have none of those things going on and yet still be blessed, still be happy, still have an inner sense of conviction about why you're here and the fact that your life is significant and that you are content with your lot. And I think that is the essence of what it is to be blessed. And I think every first person on the face of the earth is ultimately looking for that. That's the thing that they still haven't found, but they're looking for. <laughs> Not just material prosperity, etc., etc. So the first point I want to make about being blessed is this. The blessed carefully choose who influences them. The blessed carefully choose who influences them. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. What this is, this is really just a warning about who, not who we hang with necessarily, because you know, the Bible talks about the fact that we need to, we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. Okay, the Bible or Christianity isn't a call to remove ourselves from the, wall and, from the world and go and live on the top of a tree somewhere or in a cave or something like that. No, we are to be actively involved in the world around about us and rubbing shoulders with people who we could classify as the wicked, the sinners, the mockers, etc. But it's not being tainted by them. It's about not being influenced by their way of living and thinking. It's about being careful about the attitudes that we adopt. It's about being careful about the advice that we receive and ultimately the actions we get involved in because you know, the wicked, the sinners and, and the mockers, essentially, you know, if, we, if we could lumber that all up under one heading, it's really just the ungodly. There are two ways to live. You know, Psalms, this particular psalm is a call to godliness. It's a call to prioritising God. But the, the opposite of that is, is challenging us about the fruitlessness of ungodliness. And so ungodliness, you know, it uses that term wicked 
And, and that's pretty offensive, I think. You know, people think, well, I'm not wicked. But we need to understand that what it means is that when we contrast our response to God's goodness, it's wickedness. Someone hands you a Christmas present and you punch them in the face, you know, that's not just being ungrateful, that's being wicked. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, there's, there's a, there's, wickedness is about, um, it's like an inappropriate response or an over-the-top response to someone who is undeserving. And so, you know, when we hear of little old ladies getting beaten up by, by teenage youth, men, that's wicked. That's like there's something totally out of proportion to that reaction. And when we understand something of the nature and character of God, that He is good, and that He is fatherly, and He is loving and kind, and that He set this whole shebang up for us. He didn't just put us on some little rock in space with a little tank of oxygen and, and say, there you go, Enjoy. But he set us up in a planet with creatures, with fish and birds and amazing variety of animals and plants and all the minerals that enable us to build and, and produce all the things that we have today to enjoy. That's the, that flows out of the heart of a very good and loving God. And when we stand on earth in our wisdom and thumb our nose at him and ignore him, or worse, speak badly about him, or even worse, deny his existence, that really, compared to the goodness of God, is the height of wickedness. And so wickedness, sinning, mocking, it's all, it's all part and parcel of ungodliness. You know, wisdom that leaves God out of the picture. Actions that deny absolute morality. All these things are part and parcel of ungodly living. And the, and this, the psalmist starts by saying, if you want to be blessed, stay away from that stuff. Right. You know, God has set this world up in such a way there are consequences for our actions. Every action, every thought, every attitude, every piece of advice has a consequence to it. If it's a good and a godly action, there's a good and godly consequence. The Bible talks about being generous. And the Bible also affirms the fact that a, a generous man will himself be blessed. Why? Because when you're generous, it brings the best out of people. It, it invokes a generous response, all things being equal. And so we're blessed. There's a, there's a positive consequence attached to a positive attitude or action. Likewise, there are many things that we can do that bring negative consequences and negative actions. So if we want to live our lives in a greedy, selfish, gluttonous manner, we want to pay no attention to um, healthy boundaries, relationally, there are consequences that come in and ruin our lives. And so rather than take up the opportunity to be blessed, we end up living a life that many would look at and call cursed. Not because God has actively got involved and you know, invoked a curse upon our lives, but because the consequences of the things that we're doing and saying. And so if you want to be blessed, there are some things that we need to avoid, some things that we need to stay away from because we live in a cause and effect world by God's grace. Sadly, the person who doesn't know God's laws or God's ways or God's word is going to blunder from one negative consequence to the next over the course of their life and ultimately are going to bring a lot of pain upon themselves and a lot of pain on the society of which they're a part of. You know, the other day I read something in the paper. It talked about a young guy, teenager, 13 years old, I think. It's 113 times he's been arrested in this last year. That is a consequence of a society that has rejected God, that has minimised, um, you know, ha refuses to call evil evil and, and good good. And, you know, we, we are 
afraid to say this person is bad or that is wrong. We just let them do it, and if it feels good, do it. And who are we to you know, stifle their creativity and all that sort of stuff? We go away from what the Bible says about absolutes, and we end up, we, 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 we shoot ourselves in the foot because on what basis can we you know, tell young Johnny that don't do that or else? We've got nothing else to do. All right, so our society is crumbling because of the rejection of God. The psalmist continues talking about the blessed person. Their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So rather than, call, rather than being under the influence of those who don't know God, who reject God, we're called to be directly under the influence of God himself. The blessed are those who live under God's influence. The blessed are those who value God's input into their lives, who prioritise receiving God's wisdom with regards to the way they should live. The blessed are those who prioritise seeking to understand God's will and His ways for this life, to take time to study and to think about the two paths that are painted quite clearly in Scripture, the way of the righteous and the way of the unrighteous, the godly and the ungodly, the saved and the unsaved, if you like, and to try and work out and, and understand that the relationship between consequences and actions and consequences, okay? And so the person that does that will be blessed because you will see what works and what doesn't work as you go in and look into God's Word. And so you can be blessed. That's the first thing. Who's influencing your life most today? I'm not saying join a monastery or a convent or go and live on a hill to be godly and ignore all your friends who maybe are doing the things that God calls us not to do. I'm saying don't be influenced by them. Be influenced by God's will and ways for your life. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the blessed are like trees planted by streams. The blessed are like trees planted, like, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. And to me, that speaks of the consistent Christian. It's already spoken about, you know, the one who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. And that's talking about streams. It's talking about consistency. The one who's worked out the importance of regular, dare I say, daily time with God. You know, that devotional time, that quiet time that we often hear people talk about. It just means there's some time in my day where God is first and foremost in my thinking. There's some time in my day where I prioritise getting a download from Him. There's some time in my day where I, where I give Him the honour and the focus and the attention that He is worthy of. Because we do it for everyone else, and everyone else compared to God is far less worthy of our time and attention than He is. So if we will do that daily, if we will do that consistently, we can be part of this group of people called the blessed. This kind of hit me really hard the other day when I walked out my house walked out the front door, and it was just after that period of about three days, I think it was kid go time, you know, three days of 40 degrees or thereabouts. And what I'd done some time ago, because we had this unseasonably um, wet summer, and, and just leading up to summer, I'd turned off my sprinklers. Um, you know, I've got the little um, remote control, remote timer thing. And so, you know, it's kind of was annoying me sort of waking up in winter and hearing the, the rain falling and then hear my sprinklers pop up. I was a little bit wasteful, so I turned off my sprinklers. The trouble is, and that was fine because even in summer, right, you know, December, first week of December, rain. So I forgot, didn't worry about putting my springs on, even though it was summer. Anyway, I came out the other day and all my plants are like, just help, help. <laughs> just like dying, you know, like they're just, 
And I thought, oh, no, I better get some water. So, you know, you do the old deluge, all the plants, you know, buckets and everything, just to try and saturate these plants, to try and hope that somewhere, you know, something will spark up again in them. And, uh, you know, and, and, that's, and then having done that, I then went and reset the, the timer so that the, the, the plants get a regular supply of water. And to me, that's, that's, you know, that's the best thing, is to get this regular supply of water rather than just this you know, drought or deluge type scenario. You know? But I was thinking about it, I thought, well, a lot of Christians live like that. You know, on one hand, you have the consistent Christians who are like trees planted by streams of water. There's a constant supply. They're never in lack. It doesn't matter what the weather's doing. It doesn't matter if it's raining or it's sunny. It doesn't even matter if it's a drought. If you've got a good stream, you're going to have a good supply of water. Even if, it, even if the stream's dry, there's going to be water below. And so those trees, it doesn't matter how hot it is, you know, they're designed to photosynthesize, they're designed to, to thrive in sunlight anyway, and so they will be at their best. They're going to have the leaves going, they're going to have the fruit going, they're going to be providing the shade and all that sort of thing, because that's what they're designed for. However, you take a tree out of a good supply of water and put it in the middle of a desert, and put it in the middle of a drought, and things get ugly real quick. And some trees, you know, just by virtue of how they end up, you know, perhaps some little bird cack lands in the middle of a desert somewhere and a little seed in that little tree tries to grow there. And there's not much water. I mean, that thing is just, just barely hangs on to life. It hasn't got any energy left to produce fruit. It is just like hanging there, just, just waiting for a drop of rain or a bit of dew or something in order just to keep going, just, just surviving, not thriving. And you know, many Christians live their life like that. Many Christians are, lived, are in that self-imposed uh, self survival mode rather than in the God-ordained thriving mode. Because, you know, you know what I'm saying? You know, it's like, it's like I can get by, I'm doing okay. I'm busy, I've got a wife and kids to look after, I've got a sporting club that I'm a part of and I've got all these demands on my life and God just seems too inconvenient. I, I mean, I already get up early enough. I already go to bed late enough. I can't squeeze in some time to read my Bible or to pray or do that. So, so I'll just carry on my... But the trouble is, actions, consequences. And eventually you get to the point where you're drying out. You are shriveling up. You, have, you, you just feel like you're going to die. And what happens then? It's like drought. <gasps> I know what I need. I'll go to church. New Year's resolution, I'll get to church. And so you get to church and you're just... Oh. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I so needed all those people's worshipping around me. <laughs> I so needed that, that word, that bit of inspiration, that bit of encouragement, that bit of perspective. <sighs> oh, that's good. I think I'll come back next week and get some more. So you come back, get a bit of a habit going. And, you know, all things being equal, given two or three weeks, four weeks, a month in church, maybe even throw in a few prayers along the way your life is going to start to, you know, the, the leaves will start to sprout again and maybe some little buds will start to form and you'll begin to feel like there's some fruit on the way. The only trouble is the temptation when you get to that point is to think, oh, I don't, I'm okay now. I'll just carry on doing my own thing again. And so wander back out into the desert, get dry, get shriveled up again, then come back. And so that's kind of like, you know, if, if the other person is the, Christ, the, the, the um, consistent Christian, that's kind of like the, the picture of the crisis Christian. Don't be a crisis Christian. Be a person who is grounded in God himself. We have the privilege of coming into his presence every day to be able to speak with him, to be able to get his perspective, to be able to read his word, which is, which is his thoughts, 
which is like the instruction manual for life. You want to know how life works? It's, it's, in, the, it's in the Bible. It's not just about do this and don't do that because God wants to mess up with your, you know, mess with your fun, but it's because he loves you. He knows how you work best. It's like, you know, you've probably heard it a thousand times, but you know, you, you buy any, anything, a car, a fridge, a tool, it's got an instruction manual. It tells you what to do and what to not to do if you want to get the most out of that car or fridge or machinery, whatever it might be. If you want to just put water in the petrol tank because it's cheaper than petrol, that's fine, it's your prerogative, but it ain't going to go well with you or your car. Okay, actions have consequences, negative or positive. All right. So, don't be a crisis Christian. Dry, shriveled up, miserable Christians were never part of God's original plan for this earth. That's, that's what we've done with it because we step out of and ignore the grace that could be ours. We wander off and do our own thing. God's intention is this. Verse three, it says like a, that um, the blessed, those who are by the source or by the streams of water, they're going to yield their fruit in season. Their leaves aren't going to wither. Whatever they do will prosper. And so there's a few things about trees that I love. And my third point is, is that the blessed are blessed to be a blessing. You know, trees, I don't know if it's you know, taking things too far, but they don't really live for themselves. You know what I'm saying? Trees do a lot for others. I mean, I love the things that trees provide. I mean, just, just on, on a very, you know, before they give you anything, just seeing a tree is inspirational. Trees are a thing of beauty. Trees, you know, you think about how many paintings have got trees in them. How many photos are of trees? How many people have just stood and studied a tree? Looked at the colour of the leaves or the texture of the bark and just, or maybe just the magnificence of the, the sheer size of the thing. It inspires awe. That's the first thing that trees, even before we've taken anything from it. But they also provide fruit. And again, there are many, many different types of trees that produce different types of fruits, be they soft fruits or stone fruits or nuts or whatever. Uh, and, and, you know, certainly there's a lot of things that we as human beings uh, are, are enjoy. But, you know, even outside of that, there's what the animals are able to take from the trees. So trees are giving, they're fruitful. They provide nourishment. And they sustain others by their existence. And the third thing, and there's other things as well, but just broadly speaking, is that trees provide, provide shade and shelter. I mean, where do you head in a hot day? I mean, you rock up at summer, you rock up with your cricket bat and, you know, all your gear ready for a great day. But once it starts to get hot, where do you head? You aim for a tree, you get in the shade and just enjoy the relief that comes of being in the shade. What about if, the, you know, the clouds start to come in, the lightning starts to crack? Where do you go? You head under a tree. You want to feel the shelter of a tree, um, you know, above you, something that's a bit substantial. I would anyway, I don't know if that's right. <laughs> Not talking about a good tree, all right? <laughs> Not a lightning rod tree. Something's going to keep the rain off. Well, I did a wedding down in, the, in, in um, um, Botanic Gardens once, and the only thing between this couple, this poor couple who decided to proceed with their wedding on the worst day of the year, and, and the full fury of the elements was a tree. But, you know, umbrellas were still inside out and dresses were still getting almost blown off. And, you know, but thank God for the tree. <laughs> Bit of shelter. Anyway. <laughs> but 
God wants us to be like that, like trees in that sense, giving. He wants us to flourish and to be fruitful, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of those around about us. He wants us, by virtue of the way that we live our lives, the example set, to be a source of inspiration for others. That the way we do marriage is a source of inspiration to the person who's currently going through a divorce or maybe has grown up you know, with a whole bunch of different people coming in and out of their house and never seen a good marriage, have no hope or no faith to ever be married, think it's a waste of time, think it's an outdated tradition, and then they see your marriage. And it inspires them that possibly there's something better than just sleeping around and making no commitments and all that sort of stuff. God wants us to be a source of inspiration in the way that we do our relationships, in the way that we conduct our business and so on and so forth. God wants us to be fruitful. He doesn't want us just to have enough for ourselves. He doesn't want us just to scrape by and be in survival mode. Now again, I'm not talking about, you know, if you're not rich, you're not, you're not a good enough Christian. Or if you're not healthy, you're not a good enough Christian or whatever. But I'm just talking about wherever you are, at whatever state of life you're in, you know, we're all, trees have different fruits. They're different and people are different. And so, you know, some people, like I think of Tony Bates, you know, part of the fruit of his life is, is what he has been instrumental in getting up and running in Kalawasi. That's part of the fruit of his life. But most of us couldn't do that. Most of us wouldn't, aren't wired that way. Most of us don't have the connections. It's, you know, so it'd be unrealistic and unfair to expect that fruit from every person in this building. But other people's fruit, like Mick and Katie, is, is kid go. And for other people, it's helping in the cafe. And for other people, it's, it's leading a connect group and, or just being a, a good friend and inviting someone to church. There's all sorts of ways that fruit is evidenced in our lives. But ultimately, the, the goal is that it would nourish others. That we're not living for ourselves, but we're living in order that it might be a blessing to others. Blessed to be a blessing according to who God's made us to be. And also, not stressing out, if it's not you know, always apples popping out everywhere, but recognising there are seasons. You know, there are seasons in, in nature and there are seasons in the life of a believer or of any person. You know, there's, there's those seasons where things are dormant and it seems like nothing is happening, but then there are seasons of amazing fruitfulness. And we just need to be able to identify seasons, not get stressed out, just be faithful in the midst of those seasons, continue to read your Bible, continue to pray, continue to stay plugged into God and allow things in their time because everything's beautiful in its time. And God's, our times are in God's hands. And so fruitfulness will come if we stay connected and by the source. We're here to provide shelter and relief for others because, you know, if you've been in church any length of time, your life is probably pretty good for the most part. There's a whole bunch of things you've probably started to take for granted in terms of the friendships you have, the advice you can get, the people you can look to when you're in need. You know, there's, those sort of networks are in place. But outside of the church, there's a lot of people that are doing life really, really tough. And God is calling us to be a place of refuge, to be a place of relief, a place that is going to help shelter people from the storms of life in order they might come into a knowledge of who he is. So that's, that's the picture. I don't know about you, but that's inspirational to me, to think of Christians who are flourishing, to think of Christians who have more than enough, maybe not rich, maybe not bursting with health, but you know, people who, I think we've got Irene Lang with us. She's over 100 years old. So she's not you know, running around here, jumping up, and you know, she's not holding down. There's a lot of things that Irene's not doing, but if you talk to her, she's got more than enough. 
there's an overflow. There's something that comes into your life and does you good by virtue of who she is and the relationship she has with God. So this isn't like, don't say, oh, it's okay for them, it's okay for them. No, no, if you've got a relationship with God, you'll have more than enough. You'll have something to give someone else. But that's in stark contrast. Verse four, oh, sorry, part uh, number four is the blessed, well, sorry, the, the contrast is that not so the wicked. Those who reject God's grace, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, again, I'm not going to go into a bit deeper meaningful study about the difference between chaff and trees, but it's, you know, chaff, a little bit of vegetable matter blowing around, you know, getting caught up in little winds of life, and tree. There's a big difference. And God's just saying, you can live this way, or you can live that way. I think any person that's got their wits about them is going to say, this, is, this way is far better. That's the way I want to live. I want to live fruitfully. I want to make the most of what this life has to offer. The fourth and final thing I want to say this morning, the blessed will receive eternal life. Verse 5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. And so we see a bit of theology coming here. There's a judgment coming. Nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I've mentioned about what wickedness is in the light of who God is. This whole concept of perishing, I think the perishing, yes, there's an eternal element to that, but I think the perishing starts in this life for those who don't know God. Because perishing, it's about a degrading. It's about a deterioration, a diminishing of life. And you know, the moment we turn our back on God and we lose sight of who he is, our own life begins to fall in on itself. You know, that's the problem of humanity across the world. You know, we're created to be like God, but mankind sinned, chose his own way, and, and since then we've been in this, this downward spiral. We're going from, from bad to worse, if you like. We're not all as bad as we could possibly be, but we're not as good as God intended us to be. And so the person who is perishing, you know, they're, 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 they're getting diminished by one bad choice after another bad choice, by not being connected to the source of life, and their life is shrinking and diminishing away. And ultimately, God intended that we do life together in community. Ultimately, God um, intended that we do life as a source of blessing one to another. He intended that we uh, give him praise and adoration and, and all of these things. That was part of the deal of being a human being. And that has not changed. That is God's plan for humanity into eternity. And so for the person who rejects that, the person who gets to the point where they can no longer be a source of blessing to another person, to a person who refuses to worship God. To a person who's got nothing left to give, there's only one logical consequence to that, it's separation. And so into eternity forward, there's gonna be God and the family that he has garnered from the people of the earth who have come to their senses and turned back to him. And then there's gonna be those who have left their, lived their lives thumbing their nose at God, saying, God, I don't want anything to do with you, go away. And God says, okay, we're going, we're going this way, you're going that way. That's, that's the bottom line. When it comes to, you know, there's two types of people in the world, not good and bad, but there's those who have been declared righteous and then there are those who remain in that state of wickedness, rejecting God. The righteous are not the perfect ones, are not the relatively better ones. The righteous are simply those who are rightly connected to God. They have right standing in God's eyes, irrespective of how good they might be or how bad they might be, of where they feel they might sit 
on some sort of human scale of goodness or quality of life or whatever else. God cuts through all that nonsense and he simply presents Jesus to us who we sung about this morning as a sacrifice <clears throat> for the mess ups in our own life, the wickedness of our own lives. And he says, if you will put your trust in him to save you, you can come back in to my family and you can receive the blessing of being a part of my household. That, that's, that's Christianity in a nutshell. I don't know about you, but this whole deal of, of being blessed or being cursed or being part of the righteous or the part of the... It, it, it's a no-brainer to me. But I know that it's not that case for everyone. But I want to encourage you, if you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, I hope what I've said this morning hasn't you know, come across as being rude or arrogant or just to slap you around and make you feel bad about yourself. But I hope I've painted a picture of something of what God is intending for every life. God doesn't have favourites. You know, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. God's life for every person in this room, indeed every person on this planet, God's will rather, is eternal life and it's blessing. It's to be prosperous. It's to live in an overflow situation. And one day, all the things that keep us in poverty and in sickness and all that, you know, those things are going to be done away with and we will experience the fullness. We'll have not just the internal happiness and contentment, but there'll be the other stuff added as well. But that's ahead. In the meantime, we don't live in a perfect world. In the meantime, things are going to go wrong. In the meantime, you're not going to get all that you want, all that you think will make you happy. But you can have God. You can have Christ. You can get connected to the source of life. And you can experience the peace, the joy, the contentment, the sense of purpose that only comes from knowing Him and can happen irrespective of what the world is throwing at you. In conclusion then, just don't waste your life ignoring God and being influenced by the godless. Don't be a crisis Christian who barely survives through a drought, comes to church, gets filled up and then goes away and does her own thing for another season then comes back again. But commit to giving your life over to God and to making the most of the opportunity to have a daily relationship with Him. That's what Christianity is at the end of the day. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 